I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 96 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Hey there and happy Monday. I am so excited for today's episode because today I get to interview Rachel Parlett. Now, she is the host of the Classroom Commute podcast, and she's also the creator behind the Classroom Nook and Linktivity Learning. And Rachel is super passionate about helping teachers provide 21st century learning experiences in their classroom. Now, if you haven't heard the phrase 21st century learning, you're in for a real treat. And spoiler alert, 21st century learning is more than just incorporating more technology. I love how Rachel explains what exactly 21st century learning is, and in this episode, she is going to break down and explain how you can easily place more focus on collaboration, reflection, transparent assessments, and multimedia learning this next school year. Sounds like something you want for your students, right? Rachel has also created a really amazing multimedia platform called Linktivity Learning that she's going to talk a little bit about in this episode, and it really makes it easy for teachers to incorporate 21st century learning experiences into their classroom. And if you happen to be listening to this episode in real time and you enjoy what you learned in this episode, Rachel has a really special back-to-school giveaway going on right now during the week of August 22nd over on her website. So after you listen to this episode, go check out linktivitylearning.com slash back to school for a chance to win some really awesome 21st century learning prizes. So for now, let's jump into the interview. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hi, Rachel. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. Okay. So in case my audience doesn't know who you are, can you take a minute and do a brief introduction before we jump into the interview? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Rachel. And just to kind of give you a bit about my background, I was I began teaching in 2006. I worked in a really high needs district, 
I taught fourth grade for most of my years. And I was always that teacher in the classroom where I would spend every day as possible in the summer, like planning my classroom and prepping for a new school year. And during the school year, I realized like my favorite part was, you know, creating resources and lesson planning which I know is not a lot of teachers' very favorite thing to do. <laughs> but you know, as I got further into my career, I really realized that my passion for curriculum writing, and that was just what I really, really loved to do. I loved being in the classroom, but I really felt like I was a shining star when it came to lesson planning. And I decided to leave the classroom, and I have been doing that ever since through the Classroom Nook, which is where I share resources and create resources for upper elementary teachers. And I really specialize in what I call 21st century teaching practices, which is a little bit of a buzzword that you hear now, 21st century teaching. And so I really have tried to design my resources around those 21st century teaching practices. And most recently, I do that through a membership called Linktivity Learning, where we provide teachers with a library of digital multimedia learning tools for students to use in the classroom and even at home. So that's where I spend most of my time these days is kind of working on those resources and in that membership. I love it. And I am super excited. We are going to be talking today all about this 21st century classroom and how teachers can bring in more multimedia learning. I feel like over the last couple of years, I've had more and more teachers ask me questions about, do you have any resources for multimedia learning? Or how do I bring that in? Or even, you know, teachers who listen to my podcast and say, do you have a podcast for kids? Like I want to bring in more, you know, digital elements into my classroom. So that is what we're going to be talking about today, which I am super excited about, but I feel like this is kind of, it's like a very specific sort of niche. Sure. When I was still in the classroom, I definitely heard like that buzzword 21st century classroom and did a little bit of research on it myself. And our school tried to implement more of these practices, but how did you kind of become such an expert in it? Or like, how did this become (laughs) such a big interest for you? Well, disclaimer, I don't claim to be an expert. (laughs) Well, you're for sure a few steps ahead of me. So that makes you an expert. Well, it is a buzzword and you do hear people talk about it. And, you know, when I think about my own experience as a teacher and like my kind of evolution into where I really try to put my emphasis and my focus on now in like 21st century best practices, I really have to be honest that I was not always thinking about like, brain-based research and, you know, like, is this really what our students need now? You know, like, I wasn't thinking things like multimedia or working memory, short-term memory, things that I know we'll talk about a little bit later. Instead, I was like, oh my gosh, how cool is this science video? Or, oh, this clip art is going to go amazing with, you know, whatever topic I was teaching. And, oh, I finally figured out, you know, Google finally allowed us to put audio inside of Google Slides. And so it was kind of like an evolution of like realizing all these cool features that really resonated with teachers and students. And when I really started to see how successful those particular elements were with students and how they sparked real learning, that's when I kind of like became obsessed with learning about, okay, what is it about these resources that really makes them special, that makes them have that impact that we want to see in the stu- with students? And so that's when I really started to dig into the research. And I am not a research person at all. Like I hated writing my thesis in college I was just not the kind of person that like really loves to like read articles and and dig into research. But when I'm doing this for teachers, I'm like, okay, I've got to be able to know why this works so well. And so I did dig into the research a little bit. And what I learned was that multimedia and interactive style activities were backed by research, but even more, 
they really just like proved in the classroom that they had the biggest impact on student learning. And it wasn't, you know, just reading out of the textbook or worksheet styles, although they have a place, but it was really that 21st century, that multimedia learning that really just captured students' love of learning and, and turned them into lifelong learners. I love it. I love that you're creating resources with really thinking about like, what do students enjoy? Yeah. Okay. So let's, before we kind of dig into like the good stuff, I want to make sure, because I feel like sometimes we hear these buzzwords and it's like, yeah, I've heard 21st century learning, but what exactly is it? What is a 21st century classroom? Sure. Good question. So in my research, I've found that there are a few components that kind of are the underlying, I guess, foundation to a 21st century classroom. And before I get into those, I just want to say that like 21st century classroom, like it doesn't have to be like you uprooting your entire, you know, way of teaching in the classroom. It's, you probably are doing a lot of these things in your classroom already. I guess it's more just being mindful of these components that I'm going to speak to, to make sure that they are in your classroom as much as possible. And 21st century learning really starts to challenge some of those older practices. I don't know about you, Sarah, but I know when I was in college and even just my first few years of teaching, we were taught that students had learning styles, you know, like you're a visual learner or you're an auditory learner or you uh, you like to learn in groups or you like to word, learn by yourself. And what I've found is that those learning styles are a bit of a myth, actually. I feel like I've heard some research that yeah. those don't actually exist either, which yeah. I was like, wait a minute, and I feel like this was the basis of my college program. Oh, totally, totally. And it's like, it's it would have been nice if they were true because it feels like it gives us like a sense of direction. Like, oh, you're my auditory learners. I'm going to give you this to listen to. Oh, you guys are my whatever learner. You know, so 21st century teaching has really started to kind of challenge some of those older styles of teaching or those older philosophies of teaching. And so in a 21st century classroom, one of the major components is collaboration. And so, of course, this is collaboration among students and students, you know, working together in groups and just like really diving into discussion with each other. But it's also about collaboration between teachers and students. And so we are moving away from the the teacher stands in front of the classroom. They're the ones that deliver the information and the students are the ones that absorb it. Instead, in a 21st century classroom, we were really encouraging collaboration where the teacher is the facilitator and then the students are active participants. And you may have heard this quote, and I'm sure other teachers who are listening may have heard that effective teachers show students where to look, but they don't tell them what to see. I guess if you had to like have a phrase for a 21st century classroom, I feel like that would be like the poster phrase for what a 21st century classroom is. It's all about collaboration. Okay. One, I love that. And I love how you sort of gave the disclaimer of like, you know, I think so often in education, we hear these terms like 21st century classroom. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I have to like completely change the way I'm teaching. And I don't even want to like know about it because I don't have to start over. Totally. And so I love that it's like, no, a lot of these things we're doing and you're right, collaboration for sure. That happens in classrooms on a variety of scales. And so just mm -hmm. trying to be more intentional about that. But I love the whole just idea of like the teacher is pointing students where to learn mm -hmm. and does not have to be the keeper of knowledge. And my last year's teaching, I taught in an 
IB school and international baccalaureate school and inquiry-based learning was a really big part of our instruction. But I love that because in a lot of cases, it kind of freed me up from having to be the expert and to know everything because it was like, if my kids asked a question and I didn't know it, oftentimes I'd be like, I'm going to ignore that and pretend like they didn't ask it because I don't know how to answer it. Yeah. And heaven forbid you were, it was during an observation or something. Absolutely. But it's like, you know, if we're really viewing education as collaboration, the teacher doesn't have to know everything. They just have to yes. be able to help students figure out the answers. And so it's like, okay, cool. I don't know the answer and you don't know the answer. So like, how can we figure this out and like work together to find the solution? So I love that that is such an important element of the 21st century classroom. It really is. And and to add to that, if we do really want our classrooms to be a collaborative environment, we have to set our classrooms up design-wise, like set up our room with spaces that lend itself to collaboration. So like large open areas, big tables where students can get around, carpet squares that they can take with them around the room. So, you know, just it's a tiny little element of collaboration, but it's an important one because it, we want to make sure that we are creating an environment that lends itself to collaboration. Okay. I love that. All right. So that's obviously one element. I'm assuming there are more. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> there are. So the second element of 21st century classroom is the emphasis on hands-on learning. So this kind of goes hand in hand with collaboration. And so we often think of hands-on learning when we think about science. So, you know, you're going to get out your balance pans or you're going to do a graduated cylinder and all those things. You think of it, it's super easy to do hands-on learning with science. But in a 21st century classroom, we really want to ask ourselves, how can we incorporate immersive lessons in other areas of our day? So how can we make reading and writing hands-on? Can we have students creating posters and flip books where they're like creating their own little reference guides. I mean, there's a variety of ways that you can you can create hands-on learning in reading and writing and in social studies and math. Like get those manipulatives out. It's not just a paper and pen activity in math. Like we really want to give them those base 10 blocks and let them manipulate the math problem so that they truly, truly understand it. So hands-on learning is really huge in a 21st century classroom. I love that you reminded teachers that it's just like, yeah, when we think of hands-on, I think sometimes we almost like think too hard about it. Like, okay, I have to have this huge complex set of materials and take forever to prep it. But it's like, no, in a lot of cases, like you said, in reading, like let students make their own anchor charts or a poster Mm -hmm. or, you know, like that can be hands-on. It doesn't need to require a ton of materials, but I love this idea of letting students really just sort of like get involved in their own learning process. Totally. You know, another aspect of, of 21st century classroom too is transparent assessments. So What I mean by that is, you know, when, again, I always refer to my own experiences as a student and even in my first couple years of teaching, you know, we would give students an assessment and it was like kind of like this big secret, like you don't know what's going to be on the test. You don't know what's going to, what you're going to be judged on or whatever. And so it's almost as if like we were keeping that really critical information from students and we, you know, we would obviously teach them the content that was going to be on the test, but we, heaven forbid, we give them any kind of like hints about what's going to be on the test. And so this idea of transparent assessment is that we aren't trying to trick students. We want them to know exactly what we're looking for and how to get it. So for example, rubrics are a great 21st century assessment tool. And a lot of times teachers think of rubrics as an after the fact, meaning a student's going to complete an assignment, whether it's a writing assignment or whatever it is. And then we give them the rubric and we say, okay, so here's how you scored on this rubric. Now, instead, in a 21st century classroom, we're going to give them that rubric first before they do the assignment. We are going to 
show them like, here's a four. If you want to get a four, this is what I'm looking for. And you really break it down in kid-friendly language on that rubric where you say like, these are the the elements that are going to get you to a four. Here's what a three looks like. Here's what a two. And you're going to actually, if possible, show them examples of all levels of that rubric so that they know if they truly want to get a four or however you divide up that rubric, if they truly want to get it, this is what you're looking for. And these are the steps that you can use to take it. So rubrics are an amazing way to be transparent about how you're going to be assessing your students. Okay. I am feeling a little bit better about the way that I talk. So I was like, oh, oh we good. Use rubrics in <laughs> yes. our classroom. We would even in a lot of cases, obviously not necessarily with the content because some of that needs to be created ahead of time, but especially with the delivery or the presentation, I would create that section of the rubric with my students. Mm -hmm. So that way it's like, if we're talking about, if you're creating a poster or if you're doing a presentation, we would talk about and have a conversation like, okay, if you're going to do the absolute best, what does a four look like for a presentation or a poster? What would a three look like? Especially because we would do a lot of these things over and over again. So it's like if students then can help articulate, it's like, okay, this is, yes, I got to even be a part of like the creation process. Unfortunately, it's kind of like the nature of the educational system, but like testing so often seems to be like, let's try to trick our students and like, let's give them really hard things. But it's like, no, at the end of the day, we want our students to be successful. We want them to experience success. We want them to learn what we're teaching them. So I love teaching and assessing with rubrics. I think it guides the teaching process and it guides the assessment process too. A hundred percent. And I like how you said too, you feel better about your teaching because <laughs> I think the, the whole thing I want to really drive home here is that you are probably already doing these things in your classroom. Like you already are a 21st century classroom, but let's just make sure that these little points are in place. Yeah. So transparent assessment is a real big key for a 21st century classroom. And then right into that goes reflection. So using a a tool like a rubric, and that's just one way to really kind of reflect, but using that tool, like the rubric really allows students to then reflect like, oh, I landed in this category because I didn't quite do X, Y, and Z that I needed in that next level up. And then you can have a conversation with that student. Okay, here's the things that we need to do to get you there. So we don't want our students to just know something. We don't want them to just be like, okay, yep, I know that. Check, check, check. We actually want them to reflect on it here are some ways that we want them to reflect on it. We want them to reflect on how that knowledge impacts them. So like they've just learned something. How does that impact me as a member of this classroom, as a, as a citizen in this world and so on? How does that knowledge impact or change what I already knew about this topic? So they're reflecting on like, what does this new information that's now in my brain do for my knowledge over the whole entire topic? And how can I personalize it? How can I make it my own so that not only did I just learn it, but I'm going to remember it later on. So reflection is is just really important. We want to encourage that in as much as possible in our teaching. We want to encourage students to reflect. Yeah, I love that. And I am a huge fan of reflecting, reflecting on teachers, reflecting, students reflecting on what they learned, reflecting on how they learned it, you know, the whole like individual class reflection, all of that stuff. When I was in the classroom and we used these questions for everything, they were like a cornerstone in our classroom. But we used three questions a lot of times for reflection. It was what, what did I learn? And so students would sort of have to be able to regurgitate, you know, this is what I learned. Mm -hmm. And then it was the, so what, okay, so I learned this, what about it is important? Like, why is it significant? And then the third question was now what? And that question was really like, okay, now what am I going to do with this learning? Like, is this either causing me to want to learn about something else on a deeper level? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, encouraging me to want to take action in some capacity? Like I have this new learning. 
there really is a point to it. So it's like, now what am I going to do that I have acquired it? But I loved using sort of those questions and they worked with every subject, but what did I learn? So what, why is it important? Now what, what am I going to do with this learning? And so I think an easy way just to like bring reflection into anything you're doing. Yes. And, and obviously if you're doing that same format, you know, now what, so what, and whatever, if you do that over and over, like starting at the beginning of the school year, by the end of the school year, those reflections are going to be so much deeper and so much, you know, more involved. So that, that I love that. That's super cool. I think, you know, to, to that point, I think sometimes, at least for me, I will say this from a personal level, and I'm sure there are other teachers that can relate. Sometimes when we start something new, we give up too quickly. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. I remember wanting to do collaboration and it's like the first time I tried to let my students work in groups, it was disastrous. So I was like, nope, we're not doing it ever again. Yeah. Or it's <laughs> exactly. like, okay, I want my students to be more reflective. It's like, I give them reflection questions and they give me one word answers. It's like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. But it's like, nope, you know what, if something, whether it's reflection, collaboration, using rubrics, if the first time you try it, it does not go well, try it again and try it again. The repetition, I think for the students that really helps them like get to that deeper level. So don't give up teachers. You can do this. (laughs) Right. Totally. I love that. So the last component of a 21st century classroom, when you say 21st century classroom is probably the first one that teachers are going to think of. And that is technology and multimedia. I've kind of been waiting. I'm like, where is the technology? Because I feel like that has to be a part of it. (laughs) Well, I actually purposely saved it for last because I really don't want teachers to think that as long as they have technology and multimedia in their classroom, like gold star, they're good to go. Because all those other components, collaboration, hands-on learning, transparent assessment, and reflection, those are all as equally as important as technology and multimedia. But technology and multimedia is obviously you know, the one that we we often think of. And in a 21st century classroom, for sure, technology and multimedia is going to play a much larger role. And it has never been easier for teachers to do that. We have so many resources out there to make sure that we can implement technology and multimedia in all content areas in the classroom. And a lot of those are free. You know, Google Classroom is a free resource There's tons of YouTube videos and things like that that we can use. And it doesn't mean, I want to say this really clearly, it doesn't mean that technology and multimedia replaces paper and pencil completely. Because I do think that there's a place. It's finding that blend and marrying the two together and making sure that we implement technology in a meaningful way. Because students today are what we call digital natives. Because we have students who are digital natives, We've got to speak to them in their language. Okay. I, maybe I'm the only one. I don't think I have heard that term digital native before. Can you explain like what exactly that is? Absolutely. When you say digital native, it refers to students, which are the ones that are in your classroom right now, or your kids at home. It's those kids who have grown up around technology and they've adapted to it. They've adapted to it so much that they don't have to think twice about how to use technology. You know, we were talking right before we hit record here about my three-year-old son who picks up my phone and without no instruction or any like intentional direction, he will know how to find my photos. He will know how to take pictures. He knows to swipe left or right to see the previous or the next picture because he is a digital native and that's the language that he speaks. So he knows to say, hey, Google, (laughs) 
play such and such for me. You know, I, I said that really quietly because I was afraid my Google was going to go up. <laughs> it is. It really is amazing. I mean, and I am moderately tech savvy, but by no means, like I yeah. feel like to some degree, I'm like, oh my gosh, I I'm on the struggle bus when it comes to like yeah. some of these new technologies. But to your point, kind of like how you're talking about your son, my niece, who is 13 now when she was three. So this was even like 10 years ago. You know, I remember watching her walk up to the TV screen and like swiping at it as if she wanted to watch the next video or whatever. 100%. And I just thought that was so interesting because I was like, oh, as a, I mean, as a three-year-old, like when we were kids, like internet wasn't even a thing. Nope. You know, and I, I don't know if I've ever really considered how the fact that students have grown up with an abundance of technology, mm-hmm. how that needs to impact the way that we obviously teach them because their experience with it is different than our own. Yeah. So I think just even being aware of that is really important for teachers, obviously. Yeah. And I think teachers need to know too, like you said, and and I feel the same way, we did not grow up with it. We're better at technology than say our parents are for the most part. But it is still something that we had to learn along the way. But our students and our kids at home, they are so used to technology. And we are the ones that are maybe nervous to bring technology into the classroom, but they're not. And so when when we want to try something new with our students, we have to remember, like, they're going to pick up on it so much easier than we're worried about. You know, like we're so worried, like, oh, they're not going to be able to navigate this website. So I'm just not even going to do it in my classroom. But the reality is, is they probably would be able to navigate it a whole lot easier than the teacher is. So it takes the pressure off. I did not even consider that, but that is such a good perspective to take that I think so often, you know, especially if teachers have like technology fears, those are our own personal fears. Like those are not the the concerns or the fears of our students. And yeah, so I think you're right. Our students are so much more tech savvy than we are or than we realize they are. And we should use that to our advantage and be willing to incorporate, you know, whether it's more technology or new websites or new experiences, because our students are so much more flexible when it comes to those things. Yeah. Okay. I want you to talk a little bit about what exactly is multimedia instruction, because I know you kind of mentioned that. And I know you mentioned too, that like, it's not meant to replace teacher instruction, paper, pencil. So like, what exactly does that look like? Kind of give us a description or a breakdown of it. Sure. So multimedia can be defined simply as the delivery of instructional content in multiple modes. So that includes images and graphics and videos and audio and offering up more than one of those together so that students are consuming content with multiple modes of, you know, the images and the graphics and the video. And we've learned that the brain processes information in two different channels. So we have a visual channel in our brain and we have an auditory channel in our brain. And we use our visual and our auditory channels to construct new knowledge. So multimedia, that's all that it really means is that you're just, you're using your visual and your audio channels in your brain to process images, graphics, videos, and audio. And you're using your brain to process more than one of those at one time. I know you said that we should use like multiple sources and, you know, images, graphics, audio, visual videos, all of those things. Is that the type of thing where it's like you would suggest teachers incorporate all of those and like let students choose? Or is this like when teachers are delivering a lesson, they should just be mindful that they're bringing in auditory and visual options for their students and present both of them? Or is it like a they should students get to pick which one they want to experience? Or is it like teachers present with both? Yeah, it's more the second one that you said. It's more presenting it with both. And I'm going to, I'll talk a little bit later on about like the importance of using them together and how that impacts student learning. So certainly you want to offer 
options. You know, like if you're having a student read something on like, say a Google slide, like, yes, absolutely. You could also give them the option to listen to it as well, especially for like your struggling readers. But the impact is even greater if a student is listening and following along at the same time. So yeah, you can give them choices, but the idea behind giving multimedia instruction is putting them together and actually having students experience more than one at one time. I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's like, if you think about just even like when we go to a presentation or, you know, just like the way that we consume information, I do so much better if I like hear somebody talk about something and I can then see the, see an example, see a picture, see a video, or if I'm reading about something. And then I also have some sort of like cue with it. So yeah, I mean, it makes sense that we offer both to our students in a variety of ways. So I know that you said that you've kind of done a lot of research and you don't necessarily love research, but you've like dug into it. Tell us a little bit about like what research says with multimedia learning and especially how it impacts student learning. Like let's get into the, why do we need to do this as teachers? Yeah, I don't love doing research, but I kind of got a little giddy for the first time (laughs) ever when I was researching this because it like, it just makes so much sense and it just supports you know, everything that I create for teachers and students, it's just like, okay, yeah, that's why it works. So hopefully your audience is okay with me getting a little nerdy. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, you know, research tells us that we have two types of memory. We have long-term memory and we have working memory. And our long-term memory is where what we already know, our background knowledge is stored. We store that in our long-term memory. And like teachers, we even talk about this with our students. We call it schema. We often ask our students to refer to their schema when you're reading something new or, you know, like when you're trying to learn something new, like you apply it to what you already know. And schema helps us to chunk and organize information in our brain so that when we do learn something new, we can go back in our brain and say, oh, I learned about something about that earlier. Let me bring it into it now so I can use what I already know to what I'm about to learn. And so it helps us to integrate. So we know that our long-term memory is that background knowledge. So we we chunk everything that we know about one topic into our long-term memory. And when we learn something new, we integrate it with what we already know. But here's the problem. If new information that we're learning does not find its way into our long-term memory, we lose it. So that is a is super kind of a scary thing for a teacher because it's like we're trying to teach them something new. If we don't get that new information into their long-term memory, it's gone. I feel like that makes sense though. Cause I think back to like when I was teaching and it's like, whether it was a science lesson, a social studies lesson, a math lesson, a re- whatever it was, I would teach something. And then like a week or two later, the kids would be like, whoop. I'd be like, wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. were there. Like, yeah. I remember you participated. Why don't you remember this? But I mean, it makes sense from how the brain works type of thing. So I'm assuming there has to be something that we can do to like help get new learning into our long-term memories. Yeah. So this is where our working memory comes into play. So our long-term memory, it stores all that good information. We got to get that new information into our long-term memory. And that's where our working memory comes into play. Before information can be integrated into our long-term memory, it first has to be processed by our working memory. But our working memory is limited. It can only handle very small amounts of information. In fact, there was a study that was done that our brain can only remember something in our working memory for 20 seconds, (laughs) which which is a little scary. Yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But this is where multimedia becomes super, super important because we, we have to ask ourselves, how can we help our students transfer new information from our working memory into our long-term memory as quick as possible before it's too late? And so that's the challenge that teachers face. And the answer to that is multimedia because I said there was those two different channels, you know, the auditory and the visual channels in our brain. 
when we use multimedia to activate both of those channels at the same time, our brain can process that information from our working memory into our long-term memory faster. So when we are having our students listen to something that's narrating something on a screen, that narration and that visual combined, our brain is able to process it quicker in our working memory and then back it up into our long-term memory faster. So that's why we want to use multimedia. And to answer your question earlier, when you were saying, do we want to do one or the other? No, we want to do both. Multimedia means we want to do both because when we do that, our brains can process that information. It can pull back the information that we have already stored in our long-term memory, integrate it, and then then take that new information and put it in our long-term memory to store it permanently, which is what we want as teachers. I love that. So I'm just thinking here, like, you know, when I was in the classroom, it's always like you're learning new things and, you know, just like hearing all of these things. I'm like, yes, absolutely. We need Mm -hmm. to be doing more multimedia. And I'm even thinking like for the resources that I create, like how can I be more intentional about bringing Mm -hmm. in more multimedia options for teachers, for students, because we want to do what's best. But also I'm kind of like this now that I'm like, okay, I need to consider audio and visual. Like Mm -hmm. this feels like it could be a lot of extra work for teachers, but I'm assuming there has to be like an easy way to do it. So I don't know if you have like any tips or suggestions. If a teacher is like, okay, I want to do this, but I also don't have a ton of extra time. Like what are some really simple ways to get started or how can teachers really think about like, okay, how can I make this work and make my instruction, you know, multimedia. So that way it benefits my students without working an extra 10, 20 hours a week. Yeah, totally. And I get that 100%. And my first piece of advice would be to start simple. This is not a go big or go home type transition into 21st century instruction. I can remember, just to give a little bit of my own evolution towards multimedia, Like I can remember always feeling bad when I had asked my students to open up their textbook to read, I'm like, oh, I know they're not going to like doing this, but this is the only way I have this information. So I'm going to ask them to read their textbook, you know? And so I would do it, you know? And it was, it was a one mode of media. It was text. And so that's, you know, where you start. And so over time, like I would try to find ways to make it more fun. So I'd have them read with a partner and now they're having auditory kind of process in there because their partner is reading it. And they're looking at it in the textbook. So these are really simple forms of just putting more auditory and visual together. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think, and you know, I have to kind of catch myself because again, reminding myself, it's like, okay, wait a minute. 21st century doesn't always mean like technology because at first I was like auditory. I need to find like books being read online or like videos or podcasts or whatever. But it's like, wait a minute, partner reading is also auditory. Like I don't even need to bring in technology and I can still give my students the auditory and visual experience. So thank you for that reminder. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, you know, you start with with the book and then you get the auditory with the partner and then, you know, you can start assigning different sections of a textbook or, you know, whatever book that you're reading out of article, whatever, and give certain sections to different groups of students so that they can become the experts on that section. And then maybe they can create a poster. So now we've got visuals that they're going to create on their poster that they can then share with their students. So we're bringing in a little bit more different modes of presenting information to the students. So we're gradually working our way up here. And so then I know for myself, I would sometimes take the textbook and I would create something that I called discovery learning folders. It's not a very exciting name, but that's what I called it, discovery learning folders, which basically was taking the same information that was in a textbook 
And I would take these file folders and I would, I would type up the information that I wanted them to know. I would kind of chunk it up a little bit better than maybe a textbook would present it. And I would, here's a perfect example. I would do an American Revolution discovery learning folder rotation. So one folder would cover this aspect of the American Revolution that I got that information from the textbook. Then they would rotate to the next folder with different information. And I would try to include as many visuals as possible because our textbooks aren't always great at providing a lot of visuals. It's very text heavy, you know, so I would try to provide as many visual elements as possible and students would be reading together. So now they're, they're still getting that auditory support from their classmates and I'm working a little bit more closer towards that multimedia. And then when I got really brave, I started having my students create PowerPoint presentations and this was back in the early 2000s. So that was kind of all that was available to us like, as far as like a student software to use. And there's so many more now, but you know, I started now adding that technology piece into my teaching instruction with my students. I love that sort of like evolution that you share just because it's like, yeah, we all are starting at the beginning with a lot of the similar resources and to be effective and to kind of grow in a 21st century classroom, we don't have to jump right into the let's have every lesson have videos and auditory and students are, you know, collaborating and the multimedia and all of those things. It's like, nope, you can start small and then just like slowly over time add onto it. Okay. So as we're sort of like coming to the end here, I, first of all, want to thank you for sharing all of the wonderful information. I just appreciate your one that you're an, I'm going to call you an expert in this area, but (laughs) one that you're an expert in this area and you're you know, willing to communicate all of this information to help teachers incorporate more collaboration and multimedia and transparent assessment, just because I feel like this is such an important way to teach students. But if teachers are wanting to learn more about how to implement 21st century and continuing to like actively grow in this part of their instruction, what are some steps that they can take or where can they go to learn more about it? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we already talked a little bit about just like the gradual working towards multimedia and there are like like I said, just very simple things that you can do now. You know, Google Slides now allows you to add audio and you don't have to have fancy equipment to do it. And you can have students listen to podcasts. That's a great way to incorporate it into your literacy centers. One of the things that I've been doing that kind of has been my mission over the past few years is I've created a series of resources called Linktivities. Linktivities are like built and born out of everything that I've learned about multimedia instruction and it offers students a, I call it a multimedia edu venture. Ooh, I want to go on this edu venture. <laughs> I don't know if that if that's a TM registered term, but I've been using <laughs> edu venture because basically what they are, if you, if teachers can visualize this in their minds right now, is students go to these little linktivity. They're like hosted on micro websites, and they're learning a new topic, so the human body, for example, and they go into this linktivity multimedia eduventure and they have videos to watch about the human body or they have text to to read and they have the option to listen to that text read to them so that they have that support so especially for our struggling readers or students of a different language so we have built these linktivities to support everything that we've learned in our research about multimedia and technology and 21st century and the way that students learn and we have just made it our mission to create these different digital resources that teachers can give their students. They're super kid-friendly to navigate. And yeah, we've just, we've loved creating these and offering these up to teachers and students. Awesome. We will definitely link to those in the show notes. I've seen some of your activities and I'm just like, oh my gosh, if I would have had this when I was in the classroom, it would make 
things like multimedia instruction so yeah. much easier because it really is just like it's done for you. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining me today. Like I said, I'm just so excited that this is your your niche and your passion yeah. and that you are sharing all of the wonderful things about 21st century learning with teachers. If my audience wants to continue to learn from you and just dig into 21st century learning, how can they connect with you on the internet? Sure. So I also have a podcast called The Classroom Commute. And you can find that anywhere where you listen to your podcast, right? Where you're listening to this one. And I share all my best tips and strategies for integrating multimedia and technology and 21st century teaching practices. You can also find me on Instagram. I have two different channels. I have one for the Classroom Nook, which is my main channel. And then we've also recently just launched a channel for my Linktivity Learning membership, which is what I was just talking about. And you can find that at Linktivity Learning is the handle and at the Classroom Nook is the other one. So I'd love for people to check us out over there. Yeah. And we'll definitely link to both of those in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this interview. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at The Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week. 